now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into a special Sunday morning edition of the College Basketball Bonanza. I'm Nicholas Hodell. Dominic Stern, as always, is alongside me. Dom Cantini, usually alongside both of us, but from our knowledge, he has taken a last-minute trip to Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and also to my knowledge, he sent a Snapchat uh, to a Snapchat story at 11 p.m. last night in Tucson, so I don't really know. But, oh, uh, okay. But, Dom, you know, his Bengals are in the Super Bowl for the first time, and my Rams are also in the Super Bowl for the second time in my life, so it's a big day. That's why we moved up our show time today. Uh, grateful that Blaze was able to accommodate us so that we could still record the college basketball bonanza here in the Bill Austin Radio Studio, but not during the Super Bowl. Yes, and you know what? It'll be good news for those who listen on our podcast platform. They got to listen to us before the game, which is really good news. And we're going to start our show with talking about a team who's had some big problems, that being the Houston Cougars. They, at the start of this week, were on the verge of being the fifth team in American Athletic Conference history to go 10-0 and to start. And that's where things went south this week. Losses to SMU and Memphis. We'll get to their situations later on in this program. But you know, but this Houston team, it's not like those are bad losses whatsoever. Those are no. probably the two other teams in this conference that if there's going to be a multi-big conference, it's going to come from one of those two teams in this league. But you want to talk about a team that was really trying to make a big push for a top seed. This was not the kind of week they wanted at all. No, and they led by 15 in the second half against SMU. So they had the game in control, and then all of a sudden just fell apart. A 12-1 run from SMU, and then a 12-2 run uh, later in the second half. It's really what propelled the Mustangs, Stang Nation, uh, pony up. SMU got this big win. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not too concerned about Houston, just because these are two of their better teams they're going to face. And we knew at some point... Houston was going to tr- fall behind. The 20-2 and record was a little bit deceiving considering that they had injuries to Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark, two of their better players this year. But, and quite frankly, a very impressive record given the circumstances oh, as well. 100%. I mean, Houston deserves all the credit. And, I mean, for them to still be 20-4 and at this point despite losing two of their best players, I think says a lot about the team. But at some point they were going to lose and. It's probably good that they lost, if we're being completely honest. Yeah, absolutely, because you don't want that pressure going into March where God knows what can happen to you. And having the pressure of that of a massive winning streak that stopped at 12 games after Wednesday's loss on the road to SMU, you, it definitely does give more and more pressure as time goes on. You keep winning. You don't want to enter the NCAA tournament with that kind of pressure on you. No. And I think part of the reason why they made it last year was because they didn't have a lot of pressure on themselves. I mean, Illinois was the one seed in their region. They fell apart. They, I mean, they faced four double-digit seeds leading up to the Final Four. So, I mean, that, of course, goes a long way. I mean, Rutgers was a good 10. Syracuse was a solid 11. And then Oregon State was as hot as ever. But, I mean, if you're Houston, you're still looking at the possibility of being a top-four seed. Uh, I mean, you're definitely still looking at that, but... I mean, if you if you can be wearing white your first two games uh, in the March mat in March Madness, I mean, I think you got to be happy with that. And Houston uh, being the higher seed. 
at and I'm looking at at the kind of the parallels between last season and this. There's actually is a pretty extreme parallel. Um, of course, more non-conference games this year, and the two losses Houston took in non-conference play, neutral court to Wisconsin at Alabama, they're both good losses. Uh, but you know, through the the little time of non-conference, Houston got five and zero, and again, including a neutral site win against Texas Tech, that was really good. Um, had the loss in December of in in 2020 last season, uh, and of course they had that loss Alabama in December, and then they they went through on a tear um, through all of January, and they also picked up a couple of February losses last season as well to East Carolina on the road, Wichita State on the road, uh, and after the game against Wichita State, whipped through four game winning streak to end the regular season, whipped through the American Athletic Conference tournament to win that, and ultimately. It was all a storybook from there into the Final Four. And so, I mean, maybe we're looking at something similar for the Houston Cougars. Maybe we might be looking at a team that has just kind of went through the bumpiest part of, of its schedule. It took a couple of losses. Because from here, they, only probably, they do face both those teams twice. And they face them again, which is obviously a, a big deal. So there's still a lot to work with yet for Houston. And if they can get through the rest of this regular season on a pretty clean note, there's no reason why Houston can't replicate their success from last year. No, I mean, their schedule coming down the stretch is actually pretty difficult. I mean, if I were being honest, UCF's one of the better teams in the conference. You're going to get them at home. You have to travel to Wichita State, who's probably the fourth best team in this conference. At Tulane, it's a road game, but they should handle their business there. They host SMU in Cincinnati. Obviously, they just lost SMU, and since he's one of the other better teams in the conference, despite losing to Tulsa last night. Home against Temple, that's their easy game. And then at Memphis to end the regular season. So, I mean, if I had to take a guess, I'm assuming that they're not going to finish the season uh, winning eight straight, eight, seven, seven. straight. It, it, it'd be tough. But, it'd I mean, if tough. they do, I mean, they're 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 looking at a two or a three seed, if we're being honest. Yeah, and... And it's one of the notes from the uh, the good old bracket matrix that updated on Saturday. They were listed as a three. So they they are kind of right on the cuffs of will they be included in, in, in next weekend's bracket preview? Will they not be? Who who, who knows at this point? But they, they definitely have some of those wins that you need uh, to bolster yourself. They're not quite as strong um, as some of the other teams, which definitely does take a dip. On their resume, but this is a team that again, twenty and four, nine and two in conference. I'm not concerned um, for Houston at this point. Now, the interesting thing within the context of the conference is that it's a dead heat right now between Houston and SMU. So there is a there is a lot of pressure on Houston down the stretch, and you get both SMU and Memphis again. There is a lot of pressure on this team to handle their business down the stretch just to ensure the conference regular season championship. Right, and both these teams control their own destiny because they do play again. But uh, it's going to be fascinating because SMU has the player. They have Kendrick Davis. He's going to be the one that's leading the charge. So if he continues to play well, SMU is going to continue to do well. As for Houston, you just got to get back to what you are doing this past week. You got to know that if you beat SMU, your chances of Winning the American are very good unless you drop two other games. Yeah, and I mean, over the course of the next week and a half, their schedule does take a lighter turn uh, with UCF at home, Wichita State, and Tulane on the road. But then you get three legitimately 
more of their difficult games, SMU, Cincinnati, Memphis, and Wichita State's very similar with Cincinnati in the Kempom rank. So, it's like you said, it's not a schedule that is very favorable. I mean, you got your games against South Carolina, South Florida, I should say, out of the way. Your game against East Carolina is out of the way. Uh, Tulsa, that game is out of the way. Temple, that's out of the way. And so now it does take a little more more difficult stretch. This might be good for, for Houston in the long run, though, to prepare them for what's to come in March. Yeah, it's all about getting yourself prepared for March. Uh, that's what it comes down to. You want to have that balance of not getting killed, but you also want to be able to face good competition. So you don't want to be the Gonzaga, but you also don't want to be the Purdue or any any team really in the Big Ten, or even Big 12 for that matter. Yeah, and, and speaking of Gonzaga, they're sitting pretty in the West Coast Conference. Below them, though, we've been we've been talking the last few weeks about this four-bit dream for the West Coast Conference, and the one thing that could not happen in this conference was a little cannibalization. Well, guess what happened this week? There was some cannibalization. There was some big cannibalization going on within this conference. Um, now, there, now, some of these teams have rebounded pretty nicely. San Francisco's Rudwood against Santa Clara was a nice little rebound. But on Tuesday, a home loss to Portland. Oh, no, Dons. That was about the last thing you could have wanted there. Um, St. Mary's losing to Gonzaga on the road was probably expected Tuesday. A loss to Santa Clara. Probably not the best thing to do there. Quad two loss, though, we'll say. Yeah, it's, it's not as bad. Um, BYU rebounded this week, but it was nothing but it was anything but clean. No, they they're not good. I mean, we're just gonna say it how it is. <laughs> and I love saying that because I don't like BYU. But <laughs> losing four straight and then against two of the worst teams in the conference, Loyola Marymount and Pepperdine. Loyola Marymount had them. They absolutely threw that game away, both in regulation and in overtime. And then Pepperdine allowing 91 points to the team that is 275th in adjusted offense is pretty pathetic if you're BYU. So they've got a lot of work to do, and they have to absolutely pick up some wins uh, against St. Mary's. They have to win at St. Mary's, honestly. And then can't drop the Loyola Marymount or Pepperdine in their last two regular season games. And they probably have some work to do in the West Coast Conference uh, tournament. Yeah, they their Kempom rating has really dropped as especially in the defensive department. I mean, it's completely switched from a week and a half ago to a team that was doing pretty all right on the offensive side and had a top thirty-five defense that could be dangerous. And all of a sudden, it's a top fifty offense and a defense that, as far as NCAA tournament quality goes, is eh. And that's not what this BYU team was looking for at this point of the year at all. They've dropped 16 spots uh, since, since February 5th. And so that is pretty much last Saturday. So in a matter of eight days, they have really done nothing positive. And that's a big sign because when you go from 36 to 52nd, and the, and the net rating has pretty closely followed Kempom throughout the course of the season. That is not a good sign at all. When you go from 36 to 52, you're putting yourself in a big, dangerous spot. Right, and they, their defensive struggles have been really bad of late, and they also haven't gotten much offensive production from anyone outside of Alex Barcelo. And that was kind of what we talked about coming into the year. Barcelo, one of the best players in the West Coast Conference, it was whether or not the guys could step up around him. For parts of the season, they have, but 
they, they just don't have any consistency. Tajon Lucas has been fine for them, but outside of that, it's been rough. The fact that Caleb Lohner sees significant playing time, and he, it's been a lot less lately because he's not good, but he's 7 of 43 from 3. He shoots 44% from 2, and has which as a big man is just awful, and he shoots 58% from the line, so he's getting fouled pretty frequently because teams are like, you know, we'll play you physical. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big problem, and with San Francisco and St. Mary's, I mean, it's not like they're both in danger. San Francisco in a lot more danger uh, than St. Mary's. St. Mary's came into Saturday as a seven. I think uh, St. Mary's in the is comfortably in. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, St. Mary's, what they have to navigate yet over the course of the next few weeks is actually positive for them. San Francisco at home, BYU at home, Gonzaga at home. They have to strengthen the schedule going forward that they may very well be a lock unless they lose all three of those games and lose at, at San Diego on February 24. I mean, if they really struggle down the stretch, now we're talking about a team that's, uh-oh, they're struggling down the stretch here, and who knows who you're going to get out of the West Coast Conference Tournament because uh, you're going to see some of these teams really fighting for position. This is a conference tournament that is structured uh, like the OVC tournament, uh, one of the first examples I could think of um, just because they are the first bid to be punched on an annual basis. And this tournament is structured to where it's almost like a stepladder, you know, almost yeah. like a traditional bowling uh, sort of tournament to where... Love good bowling references. Yeah, we love that here in Bonanza. We love that. And it's to the point to where the top two seeds are directly into the semifinals, three and four are directly into the quarterfinals, and the five and the six only skip one round. And with and if this were to end right now, BYU only skips one round. Seven. And then you get a trap in game one. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean a trap. Let's just say it how it is. Yeah, it, it absolutely would be a trap. I but, mean, I mean, the thing that I'm looking at is St. Mary's is currently the two seed. San Francisco's the three. Their next game, they meet on Thursday. Ooh. So, well, actually, San Francisco has a game at Pacific on Tuesday and then at St. Mary's. Yeah, and you want to talk about how critical every single game is in a conference with that stepladder format for their conference tournament, especially a conference that's been dreaming of four, you know? Right. When you're dreaming of that many bids and you have that system, you really have, have to have a lot of things go right to ensure that your fourth team does get into a trap. And we've discussed on this show before how much potential Santa Clara had to be a big disruptor. I said they would decide how many bids the conference gets. And, I mean, they didn't knock off BYU other teams have done that for them, but uh, I mean, they, they've they've played a vital part in at least the seeding. Yes, absolutely, and they may and they may themselves earn a direct trip to the conference tournament quarterfinals, which would be a big development in this conference that is dreaming of four. And they have, I mean, they have a win against BYU, they have a win against St. Mary's, both of those at home. They only get Gonzaga the rest of the way as far as the. Teams that are legitimately fighting for bids. I mean, the rest of Santa Clara's schedule going forward in the next couple of weeks. Little Marymount on the road, Gonzaga on the road, Pepperdine on the road, Portland at home. So it is a road-heavy next two weeks for this team. But they are really going to make things... They're going to make life difficult. And right. they are right there for the taking. And it's almost... To me, it sends a message to San Francisco and, and St. Mary's that if you are not careful... You may yourselves end up with a trap. 
Well, and it's important to know that San Francisco holds a tiebreaker over Santa Clara. That's big. So if those two teams do end up with the same conference records, uh, San Francisco is going to get the nod over them. And if you're the two or the three, that's a huge advantage because you don't have to face Gonzaga in the quarterfinals, which means that someone else can beat them for you, yeah. and then you'll face them. So yeah. uh, they, they have that set up. I mean, I think that's the important thing to realize because Santa Clara is not going to get an at-large bid. No. There. But they absolutely can win the West Coast Conference Tournament. Yeah. That, that's the thing. It, they're one of those teams. But, I mean, if you're BYU, you, you got to be kind of scared right now because if you fall any further, well, if BYU could could technically be the sixth seed, that would be crazy. Oh, my gosh. Can which, you that would mean you also avoid Gonzaga. You have to get to Gonzaga, of course. Yeah. But uh, you, you would avoid Gonzaga until the final if you're the sixth seed, if you're the five seed. You have to win twice, and then you get Gonzaga. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this is probably the most important conference tournament that's used a step ladder format before. I mean, say what you want about the OVC and, 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 and what that conference has turned into, and this will be the final year of that possibility where, you know, you get a bid steal, you, you get two. Uh, this will be definitely the final year of that possibility. Uh, but that step ladder just provides some importance, and that's the only reason why we picked that Belmont game uh, last week was because, I mean, I definitely recognized just how important that game was. And for Belmont, that was a big, big, big win from, really for all of us, uh, from the picks, that 48-47 home win uh, against Moorhead State. And it, and that now puts them in a position where they are one full game up on Moorhead State going into the final few weeks of the, of the regular season. Uh, but back to the West Coast Conference, I make that OVC reference because that's kind of what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with teams not just fine for their NCAA tournament lives at this stage in the season. They're fine for conference seeding. And a conference in that stepladder format is, is, is implemented. It is so, so important to finish as best you can. And, I, and especially for BYU where... You pretty much have no room for air. Like, the only place to fall is into the NIT, pretty much. You really got to step it up these next couple of weeks. No, I mean, they have to. And they, they have no one to blame but themselves. So, don't really feel bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean when you lose some of these trap games in the West Coast Conference, I mean, you, you mean I'm not going to throw a pity party for you. You know, that's for sure. I mean, there are some teams last year that, if they didn't get in, I'm like, eh, probably could have thrown a pity party for them. I mean, when you lose to Pacific... Uh, on the road, uh, that's just a, a bad, bad side of things. And honestly, it's kind of turning into the same thing uh, for San Francisco. Like, you lost to Portland at home. What else What else am I supposed to say? You know? Like, that's like one of those games that you absolutely cannot lose. Now, to give full credit to Portland, they played tight with San Francisco in both games. And a Saturday, Tuesday, back-to-back. I mean, Portland played incredibly well with the Dodds. Uh, that 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 the array win for San Francisco they picked up was only by three points. So I mean that was definitely a, a really tight series. Uh, just overall, do you think that speaks to the pressure that San Francisco is dealing with in particular? Because this is a program that I mean they've really played second fiddle to not just Gonzaga but the St. Marys of the world and the BYU's of this conference. Now they're the ones that are in this position for the first time in a long time under, under Coach Todd Golden. Yeah, and. I kind of feel for San Francisco because they had to play five games in nine days. That's right. Starting on Thursday with BYU, Saturday Portland, Tuesday Portland, Thursday Pepperdine, Saturday Santa Clara. So for them to go four and five over that stretch is impressive. However, 
they chose the wrong game to lose. Yeah, that is Look, the absolute Quite wrong. literally, the worst game. Yeah. Uh, I'll pull up bracketologist.com, but I mean, if they win that, uh, if they win that third game or the away game at Portland, all of a sudden, you're looking at a quad three loss. Let me check that, because I could be totally wrong here. But yeah, I mean, uh, every game matters. No, it was quad four. Yeah, I mean. Oh no, yeah, it was quad three. So I mean, it, that that would have helped out your resume just a little bit by losing the road game, but then winning the home game. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, I mean, to me, quad three, quad four losses are definitely different. At the end of the day, it's a bad loss, and I know the committee's going to look at that and be very interested in what the Dons do the next couple of weeks. To move on in our program to Rutgers, and they had the week of dreams, and it was vital for them. Um, and this, this really all started uh, with the way they performed last Saturday against Michigan State. They take the momentum from that, another home upset win over Ohio State on Wednesday, and they go to Wisconsin, and this, my, frankly, is the most crucial win of all. They go to Wisconsin and win there in Addison. So this is a team that, say what you want about Rutgers, whether they're, not, they're on the bubble or not, all the metrics would say no, they're not. But five quad one wins... This definitely speaks volumes. What's their conference record, Nick? Whew, nine and five? They are nine and five in the Big Ten. They are absolutely a tournament team. Like, their resume may not say it because they lost to DePaul. They lost at home to Lafayette, which is pitiful. And they lost at UMass early. But ever since then, I mean, they, they just rattled off so many wins. That home loss against Maryland, I think, is going to eat them away, though. I mean, the, the Lafayette one's obviously going to kill them, but... They're nine and five in conference play in the Big Ten, the second best conference in basketball. Like at some point, you gotta take a look at that and say, "All right, this team deserves respect." And they get they get Illinois at home. They yeah, get Illinois at home, the rack man. Man, yeah, it, I, it don't don't even say it. <laughs> I'm not going to. Don't go. I'm not going to. Um, the rack sponsored by Jersey Mike's. There you go. I said it. I know, Nick. <laughs> But the rest of the schedule is very difficult going forward for Rutgers. Illinois at home, like you said, at Purdue, at Michigan, the home game against Wisconsin, at Indiana, they finished up home against Penn State. And there is a lot of opportunity left. Every single game in their next five games is quad one. It's an Every single game is an opportunity for Rutgers to continue to prove themselves over the course of time. I mean, this is a team that when the net was first released was sub-200 nationally in net. And they have risen all the way to 81st. I mean, that deserves a lot of credit right there, no matter what happens the rest of the way. The fact that they would arise from the sub-200s to get into nearly the top 80. And that is where, you know, we start, we start to pay attention a little bit. There's so much props I give to this Rutgers team for being able to do that. Their strength of records in the top 60, which is another one of those metrics outside of the, your Kempoms and Sagarins and BPIs of the world. But it's definitely a team that has improved over the course of time. Yeah, it, it's all about them getting ready for the Big Ten Conference Tournament. And they're probably not going to win it because we've mentioned it. It's not played at the rack, but they've had a good season. Uh, I don't think Ron Harper's eligible to come back next year. Uh no he is a he would have his fifth year his COVID year so that'll be an interesting storyline to follow I mean if he comes back he's been one of the best players in Rutgers basketball history 
And if he comes back, they they have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and how big was that buzzer beater at home back in December against Purdue? Man, it's electric. Yeah, that that right there might be the reason why we're even discussing Rutgers as oh they win a man even their even their home games like that. Those two quad quad opportunities right there, uh, and then you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to start considering these guys a little bit more. Um, now, with two quad three losses and a quad four loss, it's the road ahead will be a, an uphill battle uh, for this team. So those are a lot of bad losses, especially that one in quad four against Lafayette. Like, that's horrific. One of those horrific losses that you can't just erase from your resume. But the wins they've picking up since in, in the Big Ten are definitely quality wins. And, and, and if you look at a team that has gone from two and three in quad one to five and three in quad one over the last three games, that speaks volumes. Yeah, it does. It, they're they're one of the best teams. I mean, I, I think they're worthy of being a tournament team, but obviously the losses that hurt them have weighed down their resume too much. They're not going to make it, but physically I think they are. Yeah, and th- it's going to be a very tough challenge for Rutgers with Illinois, Purdue, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana in their next five games. Man, <laughs> They're going to have to win some uh, to get into the conversation. Where do you think that number is of how many games they need to win in their next five? Probably four. Yeah, I, I could easily see that. Um, you lose at Purdue. Yeah, that, that that's probably where I'm thinking as well because, I mean, you, you want to talk about a team that's become tougher over the last few weeks. That Michigan game's become a lot tougher as of late as well. They're they're not that good. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, not buying. I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean – I, I'm not necessarily buying it too much, but I mean that that win against Purdue definitely spoke some volumes. Yeah, and then they turned around and lost at home to Ohio State by ten. Yeah, so, like you got you got to take it for what it's worth. That was a bad spot for Purdue. I mean, what that was their fourth game in seven days or something. Yeah, that that was their third game in five days. So Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, that's always gonna be rough. And, and coming off a massive win against one of your rivals, it's just perfect letdown spot. And it's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you know, it's almost like one of those, you know, quote-unquote scheduled losses, right? I mean, that's a tough place to go into no matter what the situation is. I mean, you're playing so many games in a short amount of time, that's where things get really tough on you. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know just where exactly that point is where the bracketologists really start to consider a, a Rutgers team that is indeed on the bubble, but they have the strength of schedule, not outside the conference, but they have that strength of schedule and their overall schedule. They have that strength of record that's in a position-to-be-in-position kind of deal. I mean, Rutgers, they are in, I would say they are getting better at the right time. Yeah. But, I mean, like, Nick, you have Michigan at 13-10, and 10, and then you have Rutgers at 15-9. and nine. One team's 9-5 and five in the Big Ten, the other team is seven and six. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I think I've laid it out for some people. Yeah. It's... Obviously, the loss to Lafayette is really, really bad, and that's what's holding them back. But in all reality, that's one game on November twenty second. Mm-hmm. Like, are it's their job to that? It's on their schedule, without a doubt. It's there, but. If you had to take one team to play in the NCAA tournament, is it Rutgers or is it Michigan? I mean, I, I think it's Rutgers. I don't think it's Michigan. 
Yeah, and and the, that, the metrics completely disagree, and yeah. I, it's largely in part because of a loss on November twenty second. Yeah, and and who knows how far up up the metrics Rutgers is without that loss? You know, like that's like that's that that is a serious what if for the Rutgers program. You know, what if you don't bomb on a November night to Lafayette, who absolutely stinks? Like, what if you don't bomb that game? You know, right? It's definitely something to. Uh, Taken to very very uh, serious um, consideration as well, but who really knows? It's going to be a very intriguing slate of things to see what ends up happening um, with that Rutgers team of late. So we're going to advance a little bit in our program here uh, with a little blind resume exercise. It one of these a few weeks ago, and it was and it was pretty electric in here with with all three of us in here. With just the two of us, this should also be some very good discussions. But it's going to lead into one of the points. Um, that we're going to make here coming up. So, this now the way bracketogs.com orders it, there is an order of net. I can't control that. That's all their site. So, team A, a net rank of 45, Kempom rank 41. That And the rest of the metrics are all on our sheets. I'm not going to go with every single one of them. Strength of schedule rank 94. Out of conference strength of schedule rank 66. Strength of record rank 65. The record is 14 and 8. And then quad one, four and two, quad two, one and four, quad three, five and two, four and oh, quad four. Team B net rank 46, Kempom 60. Strength of schedule 119 out of conference. Strength of schedule 279. Strength of record 42. The record's 18 and five. Quad one, two and two, quad two, two and one. Quad three, eight and one, quad four, six and one. Team C net 51, Kempom 52. Strength of schedule 58 out of conference. Strength of schedule 92. Strength of record 53. The record 17 and 8. Quad 1, 3 and 4. Quad 2, 4 and 3. Quad 3, 3 and 0. Quad 4, 7 and 1. Team D, the net rank is 52. Kempom 42. Strength of schedule 77 out of conference. Strength of schedule 102. Strength of record 69. The record's 15 and 6. Quad 1, 1 and 5. Quad 2, 2 and 1. 5-0 quad 3, 7-0 quad 4. Team E, the net rank is 56. Kempom, 59. Strength of schedule, 52. Out of conference, strength of schedule, 27. Strength of record, 26. The record is 17 and 7. Quad 1, 2 and 5. Quad 2, 3 and 1. Quad 3, 8 and 1. Quad 4, 4 and 0. And finally, in Team F, the net rank is 71. Kempom, 70. Strength of schedule 32, out of conference strength of schedule 240. Strength of record 56, the record is 15 and 8. Quad 1, 3 and 5, quad 2, 1 and 2, quad 3, 7 and 1, quad 4, 4 and 0. And we're not going to try to guess any of the teams at this point, which are going to have discussions purely on this resume. What are your first thoughts, Dominic? Uh, so, I mean, just looking at the teams that have the most quadrant 1 wins. So, team A has 4. Team C and Team F have three, so they are capable of getting the big wins when they matter most. Then you also got to look at the quad four losses. Team B and Team C each have a quad four loss. And then Team D has a very clean resume, but they've missed opportunities. Absolutely. That's what stands out to me. Uh, Just off the top of my knowledge, I have a very good guess at who Team D is. Uh, I may or may not have been wearing their team shirt from last night. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll let the listeners take a guess at what that team can be. Uh, and then, I mean, quad three, team A, 
They have two losses, but they don't have a quad four loss. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of teams in here with that elusive quad four loss to uh, B and C with those losses that n- they never help. No, and then just looking at home record, Team B has not lost at home. That's impressive, but they're six and three on the road, so they're not even like losing games on the road that much. Uh, Team D two and four on the road. That's a little bit alarming. Yeah, Team, team A, three and five yeah, on the road. That's a little that, bit alarming. Yeah, also with that losing record uh, on the road. And, and and the home records, they are mostly clean. How much stock do you take into the neutral side records at this point? Uh, you know, a decent amount. It's also important to realize most of the neutral floor games come early in the year. And teams change as the years go on. I know that the committee doesn't care about that, but that's just the reality of it. Uh, so... It matters a little bit, but three and one, it stands out. I mean, I I, I like Team F. Only one quad three loss, but they've had a lot of quad three games. They've only been tripped up once. They have multiple quad one wins. They're 500 on the road, but their metrics are super low. 70th in Ken Palm, 71st in net. Yeah, and Chester, yeah. Very curious, 15 and 8. Yeah, to elaborate even further, 89th in the BPI, 71st uh, in the T rank, a couple other uh, different metrics that are on the team sheet and do play some role uh, into that because the committee can absolutely see it on one sheet. The strength of records that are all in the top 70, uh, the out-of-conference strength of records is where things start to get a little interesting to me. I mean, Team F, that strength of record overall is good, but the out-of-conference record is not so good. No. Yeah, and, and, and is that another metric they take a, a good amount of stock in or no? Uh, not really, because like you, you'll schedule some games and they end up beating complete duds, like because I mean you have to make these schedules ahead of the season. You can't know what teams are gonna suck, and maybe you schedule a game and they end up being really good. Yeah. So I I don't. It's kind of lucky at that point. Yeah, and, and I mean all the teams I mean they can make all the effort they want, especially those near major conferences that have to schedule. Pretty solidly in the non-conference. I mean, they'll make all the effort in the world, but you can't really predict how it's going to go at the end of the line, you know? Yeah. That's something you can't really predict, man. Unless you get a Big Ten team that just happens to absolutely stink and is still high in the metrics. Uh, but, but we'll let you decide who that one is who we talked about earlier. If there are two teams that you had to leave out, out of these six, who would those teams be? Uh... Well, I mean, I'd probably, like, I mean, the records speak for themselves for Team F, but, I mean, 71st in net, 70th in Ken Palm. I'm not sure who that could be, so I'd probably leave them out. Uh, And then... Yeah, no, these blind resumes are tough. They're tough. Uh, I'm not going to say D, because I love the Aztecs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh... But, I mean, the Aztecs, I mean, they, they've missed their opportunities. They have a big week up and coming for them. Uh, but then I'd probably leave off Team C. Team okay. C. Okay. All right. There you go. Oh, BYU. Let's go. Good job, Don. <laughs> and then Creighton. Yeah, I don't think Creighton's really a tournament so team, team. But they have some impressive wins. Yeah, so Team A was Memphis. Team B was SMU, C, BYU, D, San Diego State, Team E, Notre Dame, Team F, Creighton. So why are those six teams being put together in, in, in next week's Brian resume? 
The two teams we're going to discuss a little bit, SMU and Memphis, after their big wins against Houston, and with a comparison to them and all of the final four teams in the bracket matrix. There you go. Yeah, each team from C through F was one of the final teams in the bracket matrix. And so it kind of really just goes to show that maybe SMU and Memphis, maybe they don't quite have as much work to do as maybe we thought after those big wins. No, I mean, I've stuck by at least Memphis. SMU, not really. But I I said, you know what, Memphis is a capable team. And they've had their they've had their shares of problems, absolutely. And I I, I don't see a way that Kenny Kenny Penny, Penny Hardaway is brought back after this year. I mean, it's just been it's been a disaster. At Memphis, you shouldn't be missing the tournament slash being a bubble team. Yeah, especially in the American. Absolutely, and especially in an American that is going, going to be losing some members going right. forward. Absolutely. Exactly. So, just looking at that, I mean, they absolutely can make the tournament. Uh, those losses that we deemed were so bad have gone on a little bit better. Obviously, the loss to Georgia, not a good one. And the loss to Murray State is really being pulled up because Murray State has been unbelievable. Yeah, now, I mean, that Iowa State loss is going to be, it's starting to get a little <laughs> bit worrisome, but where that might end up with how Iowa State's been as of late. Yeah, because as far as I remember, they are in last place in the Big 12, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they are Boom. in a serious uh trouble state uh sitting at three and nine in the conference uh but this is a memphis team that's won five in a row who thought that would have happened after a nine and eight start and who would have thought they would be in this position after that nine and eight start uh especially when maybe you thought things were getting turned around after three in a row after six and five and then a road loss to ucf the road loss to east carolina too that's a killer as well. And then losing and holding to SMU. But they've, they've rattled off some wins. They got revenge on East Carolina. Got revenge on Tulane, who they lost to back on December 29th on the road. And, of course, that big win against Houston. And this is a big game, actually. Memphis and SMU coming up on next yeah, Sunday. It's a big week. That's a huge game. At SMU. That is a huge game. I wouldn't go as far to say as, as, as it would be potentially a bubble eliminator at this point uh, because both these teams at least going through the the exercise seem to have what we kind of consider to be solid in comparison to the bubble teams that can be considered in uh, at this point and are getting legitimate consideration but this SMU team at 18 and 5 9 and 2 in the American they really killed themselves um, on feast we, we were kind of talking about it a little bit before the show uh, how a neutral site lost to Missouri led to playing Loyola Marymount against Florida, instead of Florida State, and then you lose to Loyola Marymount on that neutral floor. And that is the 0-2 neutral site record for SMU right now. Well, it's it's an overtime loss to Missouri is really what it is. Because you're right there. You had them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and, and, that, and that even one, one reason why I asked you, how do you fare that neutral site record? Because... It seems that both of the bad losses that SMU has taken have come on that neutral floor. Yeah, it's tough. And I, I just mentioned it with Rutgers. Like, are we really going to hold a team out because of the two games they played in November? But they didn't win those games. And we, we mentioned this early in the season. Those first games of the MTEs that you play are so vital because it determines the way you play the rest of the, the MTE. It costs them. I mean, Florida State... Ultimately, 
would not have like helped out your resume that much because what that would be a quad two game instead of a quad three. I mean, and, and Florida State is actually now outside the top 100 in Ken Palm. Who would have seen all that coming that, at the start of the year? That's that's what I'm saying. But a uh, a quad four loss instead of a quad two loss that would go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Or even a win. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe you're playing with more incentive against Florida State. Absolutely, because you are, and that that would be the point where you are competing for an MTE championship instead of just playing to get out of there with a win, period. Right. So there's a lot of different things that could happen, but you're absolutely right. It, it does change the mindset. And how about what Notre Dame's done um, as of late? I mean, 11-3 and in the ACC after a win against Clemson on Saturday. Tied the top of the table with Duke. We'll talk about the ACC more in our after-party episodes. You'll be able to find Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. Arizona time on your preferred podcast platforms as that conference is heading for an absolutely wild finish. Time now for Bonanza Rank segment. It's the segment where we rank pretty much anything and everything. And to keep with the resume theme of this particular show, it is the rank of our three most damaging losses this week. So uh, this is another one of those very interesting Bonanza Ranks. I've seen them have chosen a lot of interesting topics for this segment over the last couple of months, and this is yet another one of those. I'm going to let you start this week uh, with your number three most damaging loss this week. I'm going to go with Wisconsin to Rutgers as my first one. Uh, it's just because of the seeding here. I mean, Wisconsin was trying to play themselves possibly on to the two or the three line. This loss is going to absolutely haunt them. They have so many good wins, eight wins in quadrant one, but this game to Rutgers falls under a quad three game. Uh, it's a loss that you can't suffer if you're trying to be a one seed or even higher. So really tough loss for Wisconsin. My number three comes from Saturday. Iowa State's loss to Kansas State at home. Now, the Iowa State's dropped four straight. They've dropped six of the last eight. They have dropped eight of the last 11. This is a team that is in serious, serious trouble uh, at this particular point. Now, they are, um, by all means and, and metrics within that bracket matrix, they are still in a position to where... I mean, they, they're fine as far as getting in, right? I mean, as of Saturday, they were the last seven seed. But that's just, it has continued to slip and slip and slip. This will be another loss that results in a slip. This was a quad two game at home. And they have three quad twos and three quad ones left in the schedule. And it is, and it actually aligns with what is at home, what is on the road. There is some serious chiller going on at Ames. And the Cyclones need to get it together in a hurry. Otherwise, I honestly do fear that their incredible non-conference start may go completely to waste. Number two. My number two is going to be Purdue at Michigan. And that's because it kind of exposed what a lot of people had seen in Purdue. The defense is not very good. The offense, it's elite. It's the best in the country according to Ken Palm, which is saying a lot because Gonzaga has a really dang good offense. It's one of the best offenses in the Ken Palm era, as a matter of fact. But 126 can adjust the defense now. You can't go on the road and lose to a team that's not going to be in the NCAA tournament by 24 points. Purdue, they have one-seed aspirations. They're still right there. They can't suffer any more losses like this. My number two, St. Louis against St. Bonaventure on Friday. This yeah. really killed the Billikens from 49th in net uh, a few days ago. I believe on Thursday, bam, 61st in net. 
after that result. They've gained one spot since, which doesn't really say a whole lot. Uh, but for a St. Louis team, you know, they were kind of really trucking along, you know, going through some games and really beating some teams, you know. Close shave against George Mason on the road. They were doing really well on a six-game win streak. And then a quad three loss at home in a safe Bonaventure. Who would have thought that would have been a quad three loss at the start of this year? No. That shows that goes to show you how St. Bonaventure has really trended south. And it's because St. Bonaventure hasn't played well on the road, which is what made this loss kind of shocking. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a loss that's really going to kill them. And this is a team that has all most most of their games left in quad two, four of them. Only one more chance in quadrant number one. It comes at Davidson. Uh, on Saturday. That's a big game for really both sides. Yeah. Uh, and then two more games in quad four. There are not a lot of opportunities left. Gotta wait a lot of those quad two games here St. Louis, but they really killed themselves on Friday with that loss. Number one for you, Dominic. And we're gonna have the same game here. San Francisco losing at home to Portland. Quad four loss. I mean, that's just brutal, especially for a bubble team to pick up a quad four loss. Luckily, they're on the right side, and they're still kind of comfortable, but in the West Coast Conference, you can't afford to do that. You can't lose at home to the worst team in the conference. It's just bad. Yeah, and definitely an honorable mention, right? I mean, at the bare minimum. Uh, but I went a little bit of a different yeah. direction. I went with Davidson against Rhode Island on Saturday. Now, this is going to tell you a lot about what the A-10 is. Davidson was a team that, after a while, we kind of said, okay, it's an, this is a, an interesting situation here with, with Davidson. They might be the team. That gets the at large, and they were and after a, a home loss to VCU, which is currently in quad two, we'll see how VCU plays the rest of the way. Had kind of built back up a little bit with some of the quad four games in their schedule, and then they lose to Rhode Island on the road, quad two. So it's not going to kill them. What is going to kill them though is the fact that it is now a losing record in quad two. That does say something, and all the metrics really just they took a hit. They went down 11 spots this morning in net to 61st. And 61st in net, and the, the, the years we've used net, is not a good place to be. That leaves you out. And I was looking through last year where like the last few teams were in net that made it in. It was around from the 45 to 48. 48 was essentially the cutoff. Yeah. So Davidson, by that, has a lot of work to do. And... I put these two games back to back because it speaks volumes to if the A-10 was not preparing to be a solidified one big league by now, they better start because it is not St. Louis that's on top of this conference on net. It is not Davidson on top of this conference on net. It's Dayton at 59. The Flyers. Yeah, St. Louis 60, Davidson 61, Dayton 59. And remember those November losses they got? To Dayton? Dayton? Uh, no. Dayton, they killed themselves in about a week, as far as that oh, resume is concerned. UMass, Lipscomb, and Luth Austin Lowell, P. Lowell, Linscomb, Austin, and P. All in one week, oh, in three consecutive games. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, if, if they didn't just completely bomb one week in November, they would be the team that would be the at-large contender out of this conference. But... And, and it goes to show you how much those November games mean. You know, we had that discussion earlier of just how much do these games mean in November? For some teams, it can mean everything. Right. And Dayton is a prime example of that. A team that I don't even know, I don't even think anyone even put them in at, at all, period. 
Um, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of put my cutoff on, on when I was going through SMU Memphis. I put my cutoff at like three brackets, Dayton's in four. I don't think any of them have come in the last two days. So there is definitely some problems um, going on in the A-10 right now to where maybe that traditional bid-stealing conference tournament isn't going to be a bid-stealing tournament at all. And that says a lot about where the A-10 is gone. It's just going to be who wins gets in. Yeah, and, and Dayton's got no more quad win opportunities left. They're stuck with a 3-2 and two record in quad one, which, again, some of these wins. Kansas on a neutral floor is going to stay there. Belmont on a neutral floor might not stay there. Hold, hold, hold your tickets there on that particular game. VC on the road, hold your tickets on that one. That might, might not end up being a quad one game. The A-10 has just completely cannibalized itself into a conference that is almost assuredly not going to get a second bid for the first time in about 15 years. Crazy. Yeah, it, it is crazy to think about that. I mean, that is quite the run for the Atlantic 10 Conference to be a multi-bid league as long as it has. Now, there have been bid stealers along the way, but again, a multi-bid league is a multi-bid league. That shows that at the bare minimum, you have one team that was instead of a turn of quality no matter what. Yeah, and it's money for your conference, too, that's going to be missed out on. Yeah, and, and this is a conference that over the last several years, I mean, two bids last year, two bids in 2019, probably would have gotten two in 2020, but they were, before that, four consecutive years of, of three bids. I mean, it's only been the last three years or so where that danger has come up onto the A-10 of, is this cause going to be multi-bid or not? And this might finally be the year where it is no more for the A-10. And I will say, though, before we get into our picks, huge, huge addition for the A-10 in Loyola Chicago. Yeah, they're, they're going to boost that confidence. Yeah, that addition is coming at the absolute right time. Uh, we'll see if Liberty joins the conference, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a team that fits that build east coast super religious school yeah i mean no football yeah that, that'd be quite the jump though from the a sun to the a10 yeah be quite the jump hey shout out to the dolphins yeah the a sun and, and again who knows that they're gonna do that football program too but that is pretty much enough for that we're gonna get now into our picks for the last six seven minutes of this program and i have to say it was a tale of not necessarily three completely different people but at least two sides of the token um, Dominic entered this week, I believe, maybe if I'm wrong, was it six back of Contini? I think so. Yeah, I, five I dropped, back of myself. Dropped four games. Yeah, four of them. I went 0-5 on the games that we picked that I, that, uh, were not in unison. Yeah, 0-3 in the Contarians. It, it's just, <laughs> it's just brutal. It's just been a brutal sign of things for you over the course of the last couple of weeks. Arkansas by one sucked. Uh, Michigan State was down by two with about five minutes to go. UConn was down. I mean, UConn just lost. Yeah. Illinois. Illinois was up a half. I mean, just anything that could have gone wrong went wrong. It's It's been rough sledding. Yeah, absolutely. And it puts you now 10 behind Contini, who is, is – I mean, you, you said he was over in Tucson. Maybe he's going to LA. Who knows? But he's not in the studio, and he's sitting quite pretty. Um, ten games above you, only one above myself. We both had seven and three uh, weeks uh, this week. I've just been on a very consistent tear with getting seven seven wins a week. You know, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But seven wins a week won't do it this week. It's a double pick weekend. Thank goodness for that. We are back with double pick weekend. It's been a little I'll while. Get seven. <laughs> it's been a little bit, but 
We are back this weekend and next weekend, or both double pick weekends, with the anticipation of bracket season. And oh boy, if you don't follow us on Twitter already, you're going to want to do that at College Finance. we got all kinds of bracket season content planned there. But getting into, getting into our picks, five of our weekend picks you'll be able to see only on Twitter at College Finance. And we'll get you the other five here in the last few minutes. Kentucky at Tennessee, our first midweek pick. Mr. Stearns trying for something here, going with Tennessee over Kentucky. Well, Ty Ty Washington's hurt for Kentucky. Kentucky is only lost when they have not been at full strength. It's at Tennessee, who has played really well at home this year, and they're playing really good basketball as of late. So I think Tennessee's going to pick up a massive win here. Texas at Oklahoma. You're all going with Texas. Oklahoma's been one of those teams that, for being quite honest, is getting a little bit chewed out. Uh, up things, you know, at four and eight, fourteen and eleven, they have up half the metrics, which is one of the uh, primary reasons why they are still, in a sense, sitting in a pretty good spot. Uh, but they are definitely a team that, if things go south, they will turn into a serious bubbler in a hurry. Baylor at Texas Tech continues the contrarian going uh, with Baylor. I had a little bit of a tougher time with this one, but I just think Texas Tech's attack of defense is just so impressive. In at home. They're going to be really good. Yeah, and that home gym is just fantastic. Michigan and Iowa, you convinced me on Iowa. I'm not, not going to lie there. You convinced me on Iowa. Contini has Michigan. He's got a lot of contrarians uh, in this. He's really going for trying to extend that lead of his. What is TTUNB? That team up north. Okay, all right. Because <laughs> right, we knew it was some Ohio State reference of him not trying to write down Michigan. But... <laughs> Uh, Iowa at home. Their offense has been explosive. 110 points against Maryland. Two 30-point scores. Second time in the Big Ten this year. Uh, they're rolling. Their defense sucks, though. Yeah, that'll be a big interesting point and see if, if Michigan is not a one-hit wonder. That'll be a game they probably need to win. San Francisco at St. Mary's. Continuing again, the considering going with San Francisco. I think St. Mary's has just become the better team in the last few weeks. Right, and it's at home for them, too. Yeah, that, that's big. That is one of the biggest games of this entire week uh, in all college basketball, given the circumstances. The first half of the picture of the weekend, the second half of the picture, you'll be able to see it on our Twitter at College Bonanza. Texas Tech at Texas. Mr. Stern this time is a contrarian going with Texas at home against Texas Tech. Texas has played good basketball at home. Texas Tech has been very shaky on the road. So, picking Tech in the first game against Baylor, against the superior team, but I think they're going to fall down flat against Texas. Mr. Cantini has continuing to the next two games. He has Michigan State at home over Illinois. This is a very similar game to the game uh, at Indiana, to where I thought if, if Illinois is going to be a legitimate contender in, in, for the Big Ten Championship, they're going to win it. That was going to have to win. This feels kind of the same way to me. Yeah, and Michigan State's been a lot less consistent than Purdue has been. So I think Illinois is going to be able to walk in there. Uh, the big men, it's definitely a little bit less of a presence there with Bingham as opposed to Edie and Travion Williams. So I think Kofi Coburn, my guy, he can feast. Curbelo can run around like a madman. Illinois is going to win. Same here at UConn. Did the two of us learn our lesson? Maybe not, as Mr. Contini, once again the Cantarian, once again with Savior. Same situation as last week. Big difference here, UConn's at home. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. UConn's at home here. Uh, Xavier needed that win after a loss in the midweek that I did not expect them to take. I think that played a little bit into it. And then Alabama at Kentucky, we are all going with Kentucky here. And St. Louis at Davidson, we are all going with Davidson as well. That's become a monster game uh, in and of itself with Davidson in the situation, 
it is currently in. St. Louis really needing a rebound in the worst possible way to get into the conversation as, as a team that's in the first four out. That is a monster, monster game there in the Atlantic 10 Conference. The other five games, of course, you'll be able to see on our Twitter at College Bonanza. A good mixture of games there, range from the Big Ten all the way down to the Conference USA. So again, Two games from the Mountain West. Yeah, as well. So if you want to see those picks, there is one place for that again at Twitter at College Bonanza. All of our content is there as well. And that's become a, it's going to be a very valuable account come March. Like I can tell you that right now. We got all the wheels are spinning in my head as to what to put on there. And I know it's going to be coming out very good anyway. So you guys know what to do by now. Follow us on Twitter at College Finance for all that content. Again, Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. Arizona time. You want to catch our after party in that episode. The Big Ten, a big fight to the finish, is brewing in that conference. And also, it's a very chaotic ACC Who's going to come out on top of that conference? All of that and a little bit more will be for you Tuesday morning at a.m. I'm going to prefer podcast platform for the college basketball. All you got to do is search our show, play it, and you're on your way. For Dominic Stewart, I'm Nicholas Sodell. We wish Doc continue the very best this week. And for now, we're going to give you an absolute treat. Our listeners, one shouting moment's coming for you right now here on Blaze Radio.